Hello everyone and welcome to the Redeemed by His Grace podcast. In this episode, I will be discussing homosexuality from a scriptural perspective. I chose this topic due to the fact that we are in the month of June and it being Pride Month. There is a push to say that God approves of homosexuality, but does he really? Or is he calling us to a higher standard of living in accordance with his word? Let's discuss. Before we begin, let us open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that this broadcast touches the lives of those who hear it. Regardless of the challenges they face, we believe that you are aware of their struggles. Whether it be porn addiction, sex addiction, substance abuse, alcohol dependency, or the specific focus of today's broadcast, the struggle of same-sex attraction, we ask that you lead and guide them to your word, especially to your son Jesus. Help them surrender this issue at the foot of the cross and reveal your truth to them concerning this matter. May the words spoken in this podcast bring life and foster understanding of how you truly perceive same-sex attraction. Our prayer is that this brings them closer to you, allowing them to realize how deeply you care about their lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to welcome everyone into today's show. I've decided to dedicate an episode to explaining homosexuality from a scriptural perspective because we are in the month of June and it is Pride Month. And while I personally don't experience same-sex attraction, as I mentioned in a previous episode about my testimony with porn addiction, it did involve some homosexual aspects. It began with exposure to certain secular movies, then progressed as I gained more internet access. And initially, my addiction revolved around French kissing videos, often featuring two women. As my porn use escalated, my preferences shifted towards men and women in romantic-style porn due to my longing for love and a future husband. However, over time, my interests veered towards homosexual content, including lesbian porn, and later male, homosexual, and transgender porn featuring individuals with both female and male genitalia. I also witnessed a similar struggle in the person I mentioned in my testimony, and despite his initial focus on women, his addiction led him down paths of male homosexual and transgender porn, which was difficult to witness in real time. One aspect of my testimony that I did not get to cover was the opportunity that I had to meet some of the women from my ASMR Patreon group in person at a concert in another state, and at that time I was desperate to experience my first kiss and asked one of the women from the group to kiss me. We briefly shared a kiss at the concert, but looking back, I regret this decision. I realized I should have saved my first kiss for someone special, someone with whom it would have held more meaning. My haste to feel this first experience led me to make the wrong choice. So that's the background of my experience with same-sex attraction. Now, I collected quite a bit of information for this episode. I have scripture, I have some commentaries from a few of my study Bibles, I have a Messianic Jewish rabbi perspective on it, a pastor's perspective. Um, The Bibles that I used were the Spiritual Growth Bible, the Life Hack Bible, which I believe is also out of print. I also have the Africa Bible Commentary. One other source I did not use, but it's also helpful, is the book The Same-Sex Controversy, Defending and Clarifying the Bible's Message About Homosexuality by James White, and also an autobiography by Beckett Cook called A Change of Affection, which is a testimony of his journey from the LGBT community to having a faith in Christ. 
My goal going forward in this recording is to just present this topic in a very logical, thought-out, meticulous way and really just paint a picture in people's minds of life prior to the fall of man, going all the way back to the beginning, and where we are now since the fall and how things have drastically changed. So let's start from the beginning. According to God's original design, he created mankind in his image. Men and women, Genesis 1.26. Now this is a note from the Spiritual Growth Bible. Human beings as male and female were originally created in God's image or likeness. However, this does not imply a physical likeness. Being made in God's image involves our partnership with God, taking care of creation. It also means that we are rational and moral beings who possess souls. We are to imitate his love and justice, treating each person with respect as they are made in God's image. When the first human beings disobeyed God at the fall, the image of God was marred, though not totally destroyed. When we become Christians, we are new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And gradually, we are to become more like Christ. The divine image is to be restored in us through Christ by the Holy Spirit. God's image is renewed in all who are united with Christ by faith. God's original design was for one man and one woman to be united in marriage. But because of the fall of man through Adam and Eve, God's design has become distorted. This is a second note from the Spiritual Growth Bible. At the very moment of their disobedience, Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, Genesis 3-7. Not to what Satan had promised, but what to God had warned of, that eating fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil would lead to death. Genesis 2.17 Not yet physical death, though that would come, but spiritual death, as relationships with God, one another, and the world around them would become fractured, and this sin would now spread into the whole of humanity. Romans 5.12 and 1 Corinthians 15.22 Who would all experience that the wages of sin is death? Romans 6.23 Each participant in this sad story experienced judgment. The serpent was cursed and warned of the coming total overthrow. Genesis 3.14-15 Both Eve and Adam were told they would henceforth experience pain in the world. Even creation became subject to death and decay. Romans 8.19-22 But the worst judgment was that they were banished from the garden and God's intimate presence. For the holy God cannot live with sin. Only when he sent a second Adam, his own son, could the penalty for sin be reversed, as he took God's judgment on it upon himself. Romans 5.12-21 The first marriage performed in Genesis, chapter 2, 22-24, states, And Yahweh God fashioned the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This one finally is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, because this one was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus himself reiterates the Genesis account in Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Additionally, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1-40, through 40, But because of sexual immoralities, 
Each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband, discusses the topic of marriage. God's intention was for a man not to be alone, so he created a complementary helpmate in the form of a woman. The topic of homosexuality is addressed clearly in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 verses 26 through 27 states, and this is also coming from a translation I did from a German Bible that I have, so this is a German to English translation. Therefore God gave them over to all of their impulses and filthy passions, so that they even debased their own bodies. They have perverted the truth about God and believed their own lies. They worshipped and served the creation and not the creator. But to him alone be praise and glory forever and ever. Amen. Because men trampled underfoot God's truth, God gave them over to their passions, through which they dishonored themselves. Women have abandoned natural sexuality and enter into same-sex relationships. In the same way, men have exchanged the natural relationship with women for an unnatural one. Men have sex with men without being ashamed of it and give free rein to their lust. In this way, they experience the just punishment for their idolatry of their own love. The following is an excerpt from a pastor's sermon on Romans chapter 1, and he states, your freedom will only lead to bondage, but you only realize it when it's too late. So God, because you refuse to worship him and obey him, acknowledge he's God, even thank him for being God, he turns you over to your heart's desires, and your heart's desires are shameful. You don't have any heart's desires that aren't shameful outside of God's will. The Bible addresses homosexuality and any sexual perversion as immoral and against God. That's what the word perversion means. The alteration of something from its original course distorts. So man left to his own foolishness distorts God's design, God's word, God's way. God did not create nor design distorted man or woman. People are going to say, what I'm saying is hate speech. I want you to understand, this is not hate speech. There is no hate speech in scripture, this is love speech. This is love speech from a creator that has a design, and he does this because he loves you and protects you. What's got it wrong is society and culture who distorts God's love speech and calls it hate. Similarly, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 10 says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, nor thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Again, this is another note from the Spiritual Growth Bible. The Corinthians had brought several expressions of their former lifestyle into the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 10. And clearly thought that was okay. After all, everyone did it. Sounds familiar? But Paul reminds them that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. In his list of unacceptable Christian behavior are various expressions of sexual immorality, including homosexuality. Paul is repeating the Bible's uniform teaching here. Sex is God's gift to be enjoyed in the confines of lifelong monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. Genesis chapter 2 verses 21 through 25 and Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 through 5. All sexual activity outside of these bounds does not therefore have God's blessing, including homosexuality, which corrupts his design for the two genders and which the Bible consistently condemns. Genesis chapter 19 verses 1 through 29, 
Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22, Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11, and Jude chapter 1 verse 7. It is of course possible to enjoy same-sex friendships without sexual intimacy. The pressure to accept homosexuality today is relentless, just as it was in Corinth. This is not an approach faithful followers of Jesus can adopt. However, if you have failed in this area, remember it is not an unforgivable sin. For although some Corinthians had previously engaged in it, they had been forgiven by Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In society, we've been witnessing various expressions of LGBTQ issues. The rainbow, which marks God's covenant to never flood the earth again, has been usurped. Instead of serving as a reminder that God will no longer destroy mankind with a flood, it is being used to flaunt unrepentant sin. Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 through 15 states, God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall serve as a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about, when I make a cloud appear over the earth, that the rainbow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Another societal observance we've been witnessing today is pride parades. As 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 states, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Moreover, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-6 through 6, reminds us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The scriptures contain several verses warning against pride, as it is not viewed favorably. We are called to humble ourselves. Proverbs 16 verse 18 states, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Another lie propagated is the slogan, Love is love. However, the truth is, God is love. As stated in 1 John chapter 4 verse 16, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. A note from gotquestions.org states, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Psalm 5, verse 4 says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. The God who is love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, delights in what is true and just. God loves us, and he desires the truth in the inner parts. Psalm 51, 6. In other words, God does not ignore our sin just because he loves us. In fact, it is because of his great love that he provided the means of cleansing our sin in Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. True love rejoices in what is right and good. Anything that covers up sin or seeks to justify wrongdoing is the polar opposite of godly love. Love does not sweep sin under the rug. Love does not try to find ways to get away with bad behavior, and it does not put up with injustice. Instead, it treasures truth, 
celebrates good behavior, and promotes virtue. True love has nothing to hide. Now I'm going to read an article from the Africa Study Bible for yet another perspective on the topic of homosexuality. Scripture says sex between people of the same gender is a sin. Genesis chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22, Judges chapter 19 verses 22 through 30, Romans chapter 1 verses 26 through 27, Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 20. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22 says, Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman, it is a detestable sin. Romans chapter 1 verse 27 adds, Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Some pre-colonial African societies did practice homosexuality. While male prostitutes lived in these communities, it did not justify the practice. Uganda Martyrs Day remembers 45 young men who were executed by Mwanga II, King of Uganda, for converting to Christianity, refusing to renounce their faith, and then rejecting the king's homosexual advances. Homosexuality is not God's holy plan for human sexuality. Throughout history, the church has taught that homosexuality is wrong. In recent times, however, some Christians have argued that the Bible has been misinterpreted about what it says concerning homosexuality. Such misunderstanding of scripture can happen when people approach the Bible wanting to justify the opinions they had formed before they open the Bible. Our cultures and churches in Africa are under pressure to declare that homosexuality is natural and that homosexual marriage should be allowed. The church must continue to teach the biblical truth that human sexuality is divinely ordained by God, whose holy plan is for sex to be only within marriages between men and women, and anything else is sin. The fact that men and women were created for each other is part of God's creation of humanity. Homosexuality is a twisting of God's plan and created order. In this life, we know Christians battle temptations, including desires for sex with people whom we are not married to or people of the same sex. But we know that God's word is true and that God can give us victory over all temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. From all of this information that we went over, we should remember that we are all sinners due to the fall in Genesis. God has his design for how the world should be governed, yet because of the fall, things have been distorted. And we must remember that the enemy is also present, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 warns us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Our own sinful nature works against us, as does Satan, who seeks to draw us away from God's plan for our lives. The issue of LGBT is a conflict between the flesh and the spiritual, no different from any other sins people face. Scripture outlines that we will face temptations, whether it's temptation to drink excessively, engage in promiscuity, or experience same-sex attraction. Even if some individuals feel they were born that way, this is why scripture tells us we must be born again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ that is grafted in, joined to him by faith, in him as Savior, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed away. Behold, new things have come, because spiritual awakening brings a new life. 
Temptation itself is not a sin, but acting upon the temptation is. As Jesus states in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is from the source dailyverse.knowingjesus.com. Although Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, was true deity, he was also a true man who experienced temptation just as we do. However, he did not sin. He resisted temptation, learned obedience through his suffering, and lived a perfect life by depending on his Father. Listening to the guidance of the indwelling Holy Spirit, standing on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and praying without ceasing in thanksgiving and praise. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Similarly, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, advises us to flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. God also warned Cain in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 saying, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we have the power to overcome these temptations and sins. Scripture repeatedly tells us to flee from temptation and assures us that God is faithful, providing us a way to escape and endure. Therefore, my advice is to bring any temptation, regardless of its nature, to the foot of the cross and allow God to provide the means of escape so that we can endure. As Jesus said, our flesh is weak and it is more inclined to give in. However, if we fortify ourselves spiritually against temptation and the schemes of the enemy, using the mighty name of Jesus, we can persevere. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5 through 5, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. James chapter 4 verse 7 advises us to submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. To put it simply, while being tempted into same-sex attraction is not sin in and of itself, acting upon those attractions in a sexual manner, whether that be in fantasies, whether that be in your mind, or indeed would be considered a sin according to scripture. So how can we overcome sin and temptation? Now I'm going to read a article from the Lifehack Bible, when sin starts in the imagination. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, one of the great crimes in the Bible started with a glance. One evening, King David went to the roof of his palace to enjoy the cool air. From that view, likely one of the highest points in the city, David saw a beautiful woman bathing. That one look would lead to an adulterous affair with Bathsheba and the eventual murder of her husband, one of the king's most loyal soldiers. Why did a glance turn into a sin-fueled tragedy? Because of David's short-sighted imagination. Thomas Kempis explains how our imagination can lead us to sin. At first it is a mere thought confronting the mind. Then imagination paints it in a stronger color. Only after that do we take pleasure in it, and the will makes a false move, and we give our assent. Expanding on Thomas's thought, Herman Bevink adds, 
The mind entertains the idea of sin, the imagination beautifies it and converts it into a fascinating ideal, desire reaches out to it, and the will goes ahead and does it. Thus, in the case of both angels and humans, the imagination was the faculty that made the violation of the commandment appear as the road to equality with God. A sanctified imagination provides a buffer that prevents us from turning temptations into sin. Here's how to arrest the process in our minds. Step 1. Guard your senses. Like David's glance, many sins begin when we allow our senses to linger on forbidden fruit. Guarding our senses is the first line of defense against temptation. Step 2. Stop the painting. Don't allow your imagination to paint sin in beautiful colors, making what is rotten and gross appear sensuous and lovely. Step 3. Imagine the consequences. Use your imagination to picture the consequences of sin, such as the broken relationships, health problems, poverty, and other difficulties. Step 4. Strangle the sinful desire. As Bevinck says, desire reaches out to the sinful image. We have the power, though, to check our desire by cutting off the oxygen that feeds it. Turn to God, either in prayer or to his word, and focus on his beauty to help you see the ugliness of sin. And remember the price Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. Step 5. A sanctified imagination can help us to see through temptations and recognize the darkness of sin. As Christians, we are called to love people. But by society's standards, it's an unheard of kind of love. Loving those who hate us and loving those who despise the gospel message. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 through 48, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Even the pagans do that, don't they? Therefore be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It is essential to extend grace and compassion to those who experience same-sex attraction or identify as LGBT, while still upholding the biblical teachings on marriage and sexual ethics. Our role is to demonstrate God's love, share the truth of the gospel, and guide individuals toward a life that aligns with God's word. It is important to remember that each person's journey is unique. While some individuals may experience a change in their sexual attractions or find healing in their relationships, Others may continue to struggle with same-sex attraction while committing to a celibate lifestyle or pursuing supportive same-sex relationships that are non-sexual in nature. Ultimately, it is between each individual and God to repent, which means to turn away from our sins and to not look back. Do not turn our thoughts or actions back to our past sin and seek God's face and his forgiveness, calling upon Jesus to save us from those sins that he died on the cross for, having him be our savior and authority over our lives, and live out our lives in the holiness he's called us to. The scriptural perspective on homosexuality aligns with the belief that marriage is designed for one man and one woman. The Bible describes same-sex sexual activity as contrary to God's intended design for human sexuality. However, as Christians, we are called to show love, compassion, and grace to all people, including those who experience same-sex attraction or identify as LGBT. Our responsibility is to share the truth of God's word, encourage individuals to seek his guidance, and trust in his transformative power.
And here are some points to remember from the Africa Study Bible. Sexuality cannot be separated from being human, and it is nothing to be ashamed of. We should honor God's plan for sex by enjoying it in marriages between men and women. Sin perverted sex and sexuality. Homosexuality is a perversion of God's ideal of marriage in the same measure as other sexual practices outside of marriage. How we engage in sex should reflect God's holiness through purity and obedience to God. The church must extend the love of Christ to everyone who has fallen into sexual sin because we were all sinners. We must invite people to be redeemed and restore them to community, not condemn them. There is hope for us all in the Church of Jesus Christ. And this is a messianic rabbi's perspective on homosexuality. Our sexuality is an integral part of who God made us to be, and it must not be perverted. Homosexuality defies the laws of nature and the laws of God. Homosexuality is a sexual perversion harmful to those who engage in it and destructive to the society that encourages it. It is a very serious sin and is treated as such in the Tanakh, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, and the New Covenant. It is regarded as an abomination, something that is extremely repugnant and detestable to the Holy God. It is such a serious sin that unless it is turned from, it results in the loss of the Kingdom of God. Homosexuals are not to be mistreated, but instead shown compassion and love, but they also need to be told the truth, that they are misusing their sexuality, and unless they turn away from this serious sexual sin, which nature and God forbids, they will go to hell. Our attitude towards homosexuals should be to love the sinner but hate the sin. We are to be tolerant towards homosexuals, but tolerance does not mean that you accept all ideas, religions, philosophies, worldviews, opinions, lifestyles, and practices as being equally true, valid, or beneficial. The church must never declare that homosexuality is acceptable to God or to the church. Those who do so, as have most of the Episcopal churches in the United States, have left the faith. Turning from homosexuality for a bit, I wanted to also focus on the transgender portion of this. Right now in society, we have a fight going on about health care for children and whether they should be allowed to go through gender-affirming care and get puberty blockers and hormones or even body-altering surgery. We address this issue the same as the other. In the beginning of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verse 5, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh your God. God created two genders, men and women. He created woman to be the helpmate to the man so he would not be alone. Men have sperm to fertilize the egg in a woman for procreation. For those of you out there, God did not make a mistake when he formed you in your mother's womb. He fearfully and wonderfully knitted you together, and he would never like to see you trying to change yourself into the opposite gender than you were originally born. We want people to see this as another attack on God's original design for humanity by the enemy. And because there is so much vitriol in the public sphere over this issue, no one is ever getting to hear the hearts of those who are pleading for people to reconsider this issue regarding children and also adults. God would not want anyone to feel like they are trapped in the wrong body. But the enemy hates God and therefore hates us who were created in his image. He would love to destroy you by attacking your mind and your body. But we have an advocate who loves and cares for us that we can bring these worries to and his name is Jesus. I can also hear the argument now of why can't you let people be who they want to be or to live their truth or just accept people because it is not the truth. 
Men cannot become women, and women cannot become men. So you would be asking people to accept a lie and to perpetuate that lie. Adonai is a god of truth, not the father of lies. Not only that, acting on these feelings is a sin. Now you not only want to be an active participant in it, you want others to accept it, even celebrate it. If we accept sin, we are also in sin. If we celebrate sin, we are also in sin. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20, Woe! Judgment is coming to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And Romans chapter 1 verses 28 through 32, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or consider him worth knowing as their creator, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are improper and repulsive, until they were filled permeated, saturated with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and mean-spiritedness. They are gossips, spreading rumors, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of new forms of evil, disobedient, and disrespectful to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, without pity, although they know God's righteous decree and his judgment, that those who do such things deserve death, yet they not only do them, but they even enthusiastically approve and tolerate others who practice them. And I want to focus on the last part of, yet they not only do them, but they even enthusiastically approve and tolerate others who practice them. And we, as Christians, cannot approve of or tolerate any type of sin that is a transgression against God and his word, or we too would be in error. People have the right to be concerned. We can only imagine the destruction, if allowed to continue, perpetuating the affirmation of children and even adults to transition is going to cause. It will cause mental anguish, it already is with the body dysmorphia, the introduction of synthetic hormones that do not belong in the body, and the final step of life-altering surgeries that can never be reversed. The destruction is already happening with a growing number of people who regret their transition and want to detransition. Not only that, we are starting to see the introduction of a bill in the state legislature that could drastically change how child custody cases are handled. And this is according to a recent article from Fox News. A California state bill, AB 957, was recently amended so that parents in custody battles may be liable for child abuse if they do not affirm the gender identity of their children. AB 957, which passed in the state assembly on May 3rd, originally proposed that courts deciding custody cases must consider whether each parent were gender affirming of the child in question. The amendment has added to the state standard of what constitutes parental responsibility for child welfare, requiring that parents must be affirming of a child's gender identity if they are to be judged fit for providing for the health, safety, and welfare of the child in a court of law. God does not want this for his creation. None of us want to be seeing people going through this. We want to see them be healed, both mentally and physically, from the body dysmorphia, and to be who God originally created you to be, either a man or a woman. Most importantly, we do not want to see this happening to children and our younger generations. As Jesus states in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So how do we overcome sin? From the Life Hacks Bible, there's nine steps to overcoming sin in this article. 
2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan relates a tale of injustice in which a rich man steals a precious lamb from a poor man. On hearing the tale, David is enraged by the cruelty and condemns the rich man only to find that he is condemning himself. The story seared David's conscience and helped him to see the sin he needed to overcome. Overcoming sin is a lifelong process that entails a habitual, successful weakening of sin. It involves constant warfare and contention against the flesh. But how do we go about the process? Puritan John Owen created a list of nine steps we can take to prepare us to overcome sin in our lives. Step 1. Evaluate whether a particular sin is especially deep-rooted and persistent. Consider the sins that are most dominant in your life. Identify the ones that have become deeply ingrained. Step 2. Fill your mind and conscience with the guilt, the weight, and the evil of your sin. We are often tempted to let ourselves off the hook and downplay the seriousness of our sin. While we should trust that God will forgive us, we also need to recognize the grave violation we have committed against the Lord. Step 3. Load your conscience with the guilt of your sin. This is not a mandate to wallow in past sins for which we have been forgiven, but an exhortation to recognize our sin for what it is, separation from God. Step 4. Long for deliverance from the sin. Once we have felt the full weight of our sin, we should cry out to God for mercy and deliverance. Step 5. Consider how this sin is amplified by your nature or temperament. What habits in your life are enabling this sin? How does your particular temperament cause you to stumble? Step 6. Contemplate the occasions when this sin breaks out and guard against them. Step 7. Battle hard against the first awakenings of that sin. Step 8. Meditate on God to see his glory and your desperate inability. Step 9. Expect to hear God speak peace to your soul, but do not speak it to yourself until he does. Let God speak it through his word or through his people, says Tim Chalice. When he does, listen, but do not speak it to yourself too soon or you will be deluding yourself and will go straight back into your sin. Remember, Overcoming sin is a process that can, with continuous effort, lead to victory over individual sins. I have three articles from the Spiritual Growth Bible, one on sexual immorality, one on what true repentance looks like, and how we put sin to death. Sexual immorality is condemned not because God is a spoil sport, after all, he gave us the gift of sex, but because it corrupts his design for humanity in so many areas of life. Adultery perverts his design for marriage. Incest perverts his design for family. Homosexuality perverts his design for gender. When we abuse God's gift of sex, we therefore dehumanize ourselves. This is why Paul says that sexual sin is a sin against your own body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. If we have failed in this area, we need not despair, however. King David found forgiveness after his treacherous act of adultery because he was truly repentant. 2 Samuel chapter 11 through chapter 12 verse 25. So there is always hope for those who will come to God for forgiveness and hear Jesus' words to go and sin no more. John chapter 8 verse 11. True Repentance The first element of repentance is sorrow. In scripture, there is a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 9 through 10, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 17. Worldly sorrow is like the sorrow of Judas who had no hope. Godly sorrow recognizes how terrible I must look to God and confesses that honestly, but it is hopeful. It recognizes sin in its true light because it knows that God is able and ready to forgive. 
Then, just as faith involves assent, so repentance involves renunciation. In assent, I say that I believe. I agree with what God says. So renunciation goes beyond sorrow. It is agreeing with God's evaluation of my sin. Finally, repentance is actually turning away from sin, just as faith is turning to Christ. As faith makes a personal commitment to Christ, repentance makes a personal commitment against sin. Repentance and faith are inseparable. They are two sides of a coin. You cannot turn from sin without turning to Christ or vice versa. Turning from sin points you in the direction of Christ. You don't need to turn twice, only once. Faith and repentance are the same thing, viewed positively and negatively. Neither exists before the other and neither exists without the other. The two are simultaneous. Putting Sin to Death as Christians, we know that the controlling power of sin in our lives has been broken, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. But we also know that the remnants of our old sinful nature are still in us and we struggle in conflict, Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25 and Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. In Colossians 3, Paul says, Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. How can we do this practically? Step 1. As soon as we become aware of sin in our lives in thought, word, or action, confess it and know Christ's forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Step 2. Avoid places or temptations that may stir you and lead you to sin. Exercise self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. Don't look at things on television or the internet that could lead you to sin. Job chapter 3, verse 11. Looking at such things encourages and strengthens sinful desires in us. Putting sins to death means we are to weaken, not encourage, such desires. Such putting to death is drastic and painful. Matthew chapter 7, verses 29 through 30. We need the help of the Holy Spirit in this. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Step 3. Cultivate good and positive habits. Aim to know and please Christ more. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. In place of negative habits, strengthen Christ-like qualities such as the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Step 4. Make yourself accountable to a more mature Christian. This also has to be said. Beware of those you follow, pastors or churches who affirm you in sinful behavior and say that you don't have to change. That is not the gospel. God will meet us where we are, but we cannot expect to stay in our sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27. For if we keep on sinning willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only a terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury of fire about to devour the enemies of God. If you listen to the first episode, then you know my story deals with coming out of porn addiction. Knowing what I know now, I would never have wanted someone affirming me in my porn addiction, telling me it was okay. Yet I know there is an affirming pastor out there who does just that. Towards the end, I was miserable, lonely, depressed, and unfulfilled. Jesus commands we go and sin no more. We cannot demand God to take us sin and all and think we will end up in heaven that way. That is why we need to repent, have faith in Jesus to cleanse us by his blood of our sins. The people who are telling you this is alright are in error themselves and need to repent of their false teaching. They don't love you enough to tell you the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am thankful I was awakened to the nature and severity of my sin. I can only pray by continuing to spread the truth, people will find the hope and redemption and salvation that can be found in Jesus. 
If you would turn to him in godly sorrow for your sin, turn from the sin completely, he is right there to forgive. The most comforting words we should hear is, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We must keep up the perseverance of faith, and the way we can be most effective is by being there for the children and adults who are struggling with body dysmorphia and same-sex attraction. Be their support, but also tell them the truth and love that this is not God's plan for their lives. As previously stated, we have a very real enemy who hates God and hates us because we bear his image, and if at all possible, would love to see us go to hell along with him. We must be vigilant. Another way, and the most effective way, is to be deep in prayer for the children and the adults in the LGBT community and be in prayer for this nation. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that is what is required of all of us. Turn from our wickedness, seek the face of God, so he will hear us and heal our land. I hope this information has been helpful and eye-opening. Christians don't hate the LGBT community. It is out of love for our neighbor as ourself that we give this message. I was in the same situation with my porn addiction, headed in the same direction, to hell. Yet God called me out from it. He saved me and he can do the same for you. I will also say this too. This is not about people who are same-sex attracted to become heterosexual, but a call to living a righteous and holy life in accordance with God's commands. The same two choices are afforded to us all. Either remain single and celibate, or be married one man and one woman. I am currently single and celibate, and I have no idea whether marriage will happen for me or it won't. However, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul speaking, But he, God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's grace is sufficient to get us through, it has to be, and we have to pick up our cross daily and follow him. The more you follow him, see sin from God's perspective and not our own, he will help our desires to change so that our desires are in line with God's original design, so that we desire what he desires and not what we desire. I hope today's show was very informative for everyone. My main goal for this was to collect as much information as I could on the topic and really just paint a picture about where we were before the fall of man and where we are now and how we are way out of step with God's original design for humanity and for humanity's sexuality and how, through the various articles, how we can get ourselves aligned with God's design again. Now let us end in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray once again for those who have heard this broadcast, regardless of their location, that it resonates with them and serves to bring glory to you. We pray specifically for individuals struggling with addiction such as porn, sex, alcohol, drugs, or same-sex attraction, which we discussed today. May you guide them towards repentance, helping them make the decision to leave these sins behind forever and find salvation in your son Jesus. If they require support and accountability, lead them to support our friends and a strong church community. Grant us all the ability to live our lives in accordance with your original design for humanity and in alignment with your word. Protect us from false teachings that suggest it is acceptable to remain in our sins without change. The gospel reveals that true repentance 
and faith in your Son, Jesus, grants us the forgiveness and cleansing of our sins through his blood, enabling us to have eternal life with you. Let us regard sin as seriously as you do, knowing that you loved us enough to send Jesus to die on the cross at Calvary for our salvation. Therefore, why should we continue to engage in the very sins that led him there? We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Redeemed by His Grace podcast.